Hello again, beautiful beings of light, and welcome back to another Expand Podcast episode with yours truly, Elizabeth April. Today, I'm going to get a little personal with you. I'm going to describe, I don't want to say a life-changing experience, but definitely a, a really cool, interesting experience that I had just a couple of years ago. And I guess my intention for telling you about this is to help you understand challenging moments in your own life from a very different lens. Because I believe that if anyone else went through this same sort of experience, they probably would have interpreted it or taken it such a different way than I did. So that's kind of where I'm at. That's why I think that this experience is so cool, so profound, so interesting that it needs to be heard. <laughs> so here it is. I got punched in the face in Panama in 2019. And uh, a couple of years before that, I was at a hair salon getting my hair done. Sounds like such a basic move, but I had a photo shoot, so I was in this salon, and this lady who was there was telling me about this festival that was being held in Panama. So it's basically a giant hippie festival, but it's so much more than that. It's not just Burning Man. It has deep conscious roots, and that's really what brought me into it. And I'm not necessarily like a rave person or a festival person. I'm more about kind of ancient knowledge and wisdom. And so this festival in Panama is called Tribal Gathering. And it's been going on for a number of years now. And essentially, they take 60 different tribes from 30 different countries all over the world, and they bring these indigenous tribes to Panama to share their knowledge and wisdom. And there are, you know, uh, workshops where you build different crafts and you use different aspects from the environment. Um, so there's creativity. And then there's also a lot of plant medicine. So the different shamans of each tribe will bring in uh, their own plant medicines and they will share the plant medicine with the people who come to the festival. I really love this idea because it's really about honoring the ancient wisdom from these different tribes and sitting with them and sharing this wisdom, especially with the Western world. So that's really what drew me in. I, I'm pretty sure it went on for three weeks. And then if you wanted to stay a little bit beforehand and set things up and a little bit after and break things down, you could totally do that too. And so the first half of the festival is all about the ancient wisdom in the tribes. And then the second half of the festival is really all about like kind of the raves and the partying and a lot of the drugs and things that come with festivals. So I really wanted to be there, obviously, for the first half. And so you can get either a half ticket, right, a half wristband or a whole wristband. So what I ended up doing is I took a friend of mine who's indigenous and she was kind of studying to be a shaman at the time. And I asked her if she wanted to come with me on this experience. And she agreed. She, she was really excited about that. And so we went to Panama first for the first week together. 
And then I had my wife, who was my girlfriend at the time, kind of a new girlfriend. And I said, hey, if you want to come for the second half, I think we only really had to share a tent for like one night all together, right? Because I had my friend staying and then Nat came in afterwards. And then my friend left and flew home and then Nat came in. So that that was kind of the setup. Now, for me, because I'm not typically like a festival goer, I ended up getting like the luxury package, like, I don't know, premium package of this festival, which I think was around like two or three thousand dollars. And the thing for me was like they set up this really beautiful white, all white tent. Um, You have electricity in the tent. You have like a fan in the tent because it's really freaking hot there. You have a bed that they put in the tent and then you have access to your own water and your own bathrooms. And uh, the other thing that I really liked about it is that it was all gated off. It was right by the beach and we had our own 24-hour security guard at the gate of our kind of like luxury little spot. So I really liked that. And then pretty much everyone else at the festival were in their own tents and they were all cramped together and It just gave me a little bit of anxiety, to be honest. So that was the setup. I'm just setting the scene for you. And it was great. It was great. It was such a a beautiful time. And, you know, I got to just kind of be in the water by the ocean. And I had so many incredible experiences there and, and met so many beautiful people, too. And so essentially what ended up happening, when I was at the airport and I wanted to get to this festival, there was a shuttle bus that you could take and the shuttle bus wasn't leaving from the airport for like another like six to eight hours. And personally, I didn't want to wait. And for whatever reason, my friend ended up coming solo. I don't know why we didn't plan our tickets together. Anyway, so she flew in and I flew in at different times. And then obviously Nat flew in a week later. And so (laughs) I end up, uh, this is like such an awful idea. I end up renting an Uber, right? Like you go on the Uber app and you get an Uber driver. And I typed in the address, like tribal gathering, right? Had no idea that tribal gathering, the festival venue, was literally in the middle of the jungle, like in the middle of nowhere, right? Anyway, so it said that it was going to take like four hours to get there. And what I assumed about Ubers is that the Uber driver takes the offers, right, the drive offers, and they're fully aware of the trip. Of course, they're not. (laughs) This poor Uber driver, he, he was a really awesome, like grounded young guy, and, uh, and he ended up taking the trip. And when I told him where we were going, he's like, oh, my goodness, like, I'm a personal trainer and I have a whole day of, you know, personal training to do after this. And I said, I'll pay you extra money if you take me there. And so, like, you know, we had conversations here and there. And when we got to the point where we should have been at the location, it was nowhere to be found. We end up in this, like, tiny little village where there's not a car in sight. They're all dirt roads. He's like muddying up his car. The four-hour trip actually took like more like six hours. 
And it took us at least like an hour at the end to just find out where this thing was. We went to three small villages in order to like get pointed in the right direction. Hey, do you know where this uh, festival is? Where do you know where this festival is? And so finally, we get pointed in this direction. He has to stop at this little bar beside the road, and they point. They're like, "Oh yeah, it's right there across the street." There are no signs. There are. There's nothing. It's just like an opening in the jungle. Like that's literally what it is. And so he drives. His car can barely make it on these freaking jungle dirt roads. You know, I didn't know this, but typically they, the bus will stop right at the end. It won't even go into the jungle. You'll ha- you have to walk like two or three kilometers in. Anyway, it was, it was such a trip. And I swear me and this Uber driver, like we had a past life where we were like trekking it through something. Cause we just, we completed that. And so I had some cash on me and because there was zero service by the end of that trip, and it was like a $400, if you could imagine, Uber ride, right? And because there was no service, the Uber app just shut down and we didn't know if he got paid. So I gave him like, I think two or 300 American dollars that was in my my wallet. I really didn't have much cash. That was like all the cash I had. And so I gave that to him. I'm like, I'm so sorry. When I got back into Wi-Fi, which was like a month later, um, I saw that the Uber trip went through. So this guy got like $800, which was fine because he also had to make the four or five hour trek back to town and he missed out on his clients. So it was worth it. It was worth it. It was a, It was an equal exchange for sure. So anyway, so I finally get to this like gathering. I get my wristband. Um, I'm pretty impressed at like their setup. They had like food stalls. They had fresh uh, running water. You know, we, we I had a beautiful tent. And because I'm a bit of a, like a prepper and a backpacker, I had I had all the things. I had flashlights. I had just basically a backpack full of stuff. And, and I was pretty good to go you know? And so same thing, you get there and there's zero connection. There's, there's no Wi-Fi. There's not even cell service. And so I end up meeting, meeting up with my friend for whatever reason, that wasn't an issue. I found her right away. They had restaurants and bars, like all set up. Um, and of course they had like, I think four or five different music stages, which were also really awesome, you know, just really great EDM beats. And then mostly the first week was all about the shaman connection, right? Basically my friend wanted to do a plant medicine ceremony and I think she did cambo but i'm not sure i didn't i didn't want to do any of that stuff i'm like ugh i might like i'm already at that place i don't need i don't need any extra help so anyway so she ends up doing this this uh, plant medicine and having this crazy ego death and she felt like halfway through the experience she needed to like stand up and walk around and so she's walking down this path in the jungle and we were right off the beach too which was so nice So she was walking down this path in the jungle, and all of a sudden, there are like four people all carrying a stretcher, like a kind of a man-made stretcher, out of the jungle past her. And there's this man who's on the stretcher whose skin is blue, like it's blue, and he's dead. And he ended up dying of not cambo, but one of the plant medicines that he took. 
And uh, and she had this experience. So not only is she going through her own ego death, but she's seeing this dead man being walked out of the jungle. And she said, she said, I wasn't even worried or freaked out. She's like, I gave him love. I crossed him over to the other side. Like it was really, oof, gives me chills. It was really, really intense, if you could imagine. And it's, they've never had a death there. Like this is so rare that that happened. When she came to me and she told me about the experience and then the rumor was going around the the event that this had happened, you know, I did a little bit of work on him. I realized, you know, uh, what what it was, what his contracts were, what happened. And apparently this man in particular, um, he was American and he was really, I guess the word is like belligerent beforehand. Like just that was his personality. And he was... Um, I don't know. I think he was drinking a lot and he was just very like kind of disrespecting the whole energy of it. And from what I learned, it was his time to go. It was his exit point. And, you know, we made sure that we did the work on him and and we got messages from him and and all of that. And then I was sitting around this campfire and I was trying to like connect with people. But for whatever reason, I had a really, really hard time connecting with other people who were at this event. And so I was sitting around this fire and there was a couple of um, people who kind of came up and sat around the fire with me. And this was during the day. And this one, uh, very much so like a hippie chick, I was talking to her and she's like, you know, I'm so disappointed. Like I paid this money to have this ego death during a Cambo ceremony and I didn't have it. I didn't have this ego death and, and, and that's what I wanted. That's what I paid for. She's like, last week I was in Belize and I had this plant medicine ceremony with, I don't know, whatever the plant medicines were. And she's like, the week before I was in this country doing this. And it was like every week, every month she was she was going on this plant medicine journey and just traveling around and doing that. And so I turned to her and I said, did you know that you don't have to do plant medicine in order to have an ego death? And she's like, no, 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 that's not right. And I said, well, did you know that you don't need to have plant medicine in order to have a DMT soul connecting universal experience? And she's like, no, 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 you don't know what you're talking about. Like, that's not right. And I said, I do know what I'm talking about. I teach this for a living. Plant medicine is only ever a stepping stone, but it's not the end destination. And uh, I was pretty shocked, but she actually just got up in the middle of this conversation and she left. Like she just walked away from me. I don't know. It was just, I've never been walked away from. So that was pretty shocking. And I was like, oh. And so I realized that there's this, like, even in that community, the 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 spiritual kind of hippie, dreadlock wearing, um, you know, cool tattoos sort of you know, barefoot type of individuals who are festival goers, there's kind of this stigma of like needing plant medicine to have these experiences and they didn't like what I had to say about it. So that I learned a lot from that um, in general, but maybe that was why I couldn't connect with a lot of them because I just, maybe I was just too realistic. Like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know why that just didn't happen, but it didn't. So it was the night before Nat was going to come and I was so excited and she flew in and she basically flew in and she got a hotel in Panama City before she was going to take the shuttle bus out. And it was like, I think it was like maybe 
8 p.m. And we had a plan that I was going to give her a call. Like I knew when her flight was arriving, I think maybe 6 p.m. And I figured I'm going to go out to the tip of the beach in order to call her. So the only spot that had uh, cell service, period, in general, was the very end tip of this beach, which was quite a ways away from all of the festivities of the festival and quite a ways away from, you know, our tent and, and everyone else. So I'm walking out to the beach and it's a really beautiful night and the sun is setting and I'm so excited to talk to Nat and, and get excited about having her there. And as I'm at the tip, there's, you know, about 10 people who are all having a fire on the beach and there's a bunch of other people swimming and mulling around and whatever and so I felt really like comfortable being there because I felt like I was really surrounded by people and so I give her a call and I'm just like talking about the whole event so far and talking about you know so excited to have her there and so as I'm walking right 8 8 30 something like that as I'm walking to the self-service area of the beach I got followed by this guy, right? He's like, he's like walking with me or like following me. And I was like, okay, like this is weird. And he definitely looked like a local and he he was definitely pretty drunk because he was stumbling around. So I didn't feel like too threatened, but I was very aware of his um, presence there. And so, like I said, when I got to the tip, I felt immediately more comfortable because I was surrounded by other people and I just felt safe, right? Because I wasn't alone. Walking to the end of that tip of the beach, I felt, you know, like it was just me and this guy. So I give her a call. The sun is setting and we go on and on and on talking about things. And I um, I told her, I said, yeah, like some fucking drunk guy followed me to the end of the beach and she starts freaking out like are you safe are you okay maybe you should leave and I said no no no, I'm fine like there's tons of other people here I just want to talk to you about everything and then she's like screw the shuttle tomorrow like I'm coming now I'm gonna get an uber and it was like 9 p.m at this point I said no like please do not get an uber I had the worst experience there's no way you're gonna find it in the middle of the dark like it's not gonna like I like yelled at her like don't do that wait for the shuttle and then like we're an hour into the conversation and this guy who followed me there, he comes up to me and he he tries to kiss me. He's like, Mwah! and I'm like, oh, my God, get away. Like I was like, you know, and then Nat hears all of this and she's like, oh, my God, what the fuck is happening? What's going on? Like, who who is that? Who was that? I'm like, it's this guy who followed me to the end of the beach. And she's like, babe, you you need to get out of there. I was like, yeah, 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 I'm going to leave. And I'm looking around and all of a sudden, an hour and a half into our conversation, I get so enthralled when I'm just talking to Nat. I didn't realize, but like pretty much everyone left, you know, at the end of the beach. And now I'm starting to feel a little, you know, it's dark out. Everyone left and I'm, I'm feeling a little weirded out. So then I'm like, okay, okay, all right, like, I'm going to see you tomorrow, like, you're expected at, like, 2 p.m., I'll see you then, um, have, a, have a good night, have a safe trip or whatever, and I said, I'll walk out to the beach at 12, and I'll check in on you, and I'll text you at that time. And so she's like, okay, have a good night, you know, be safe, walk back with someone. Unfortunately, when I hung up with her, there was no one else to walk back with. 
And so I put the flashlight on my phone. I usually had my like safety flashlight, but I didn't uh, because I didn't expect it to be dark and I didn't expect to talk to her for that long. And so I put the flashlight on my phone and I'm walking back to the festival. Now, if you could imagine, I don't know how many, like how long it was. It was quite a distance. And between the end of the beach where I was and then the festival, it was pitch black beach. And so I have the, you know, the light on my phone and this guy who I didn't expect to still be there after all this time starts walking beside me and he starts talking to me in this other language. And I said, I don't, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't understand. Like, I'm sorry, I can't help you. And he was basically saying that he, like, he was trying to say, like, I need to borrow your phone or whatever. And I said, no, 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 sorry. I need this right now for the flashlight. Like, I can't help you. And then, like, halfway through walking down the beach, he jumps me. He, he basically, luckily it wasn't worse, but he grabs my phone and he books it, right? And he runs. And because the flashlight is on on my phone, I can follow him easily. So I'm this freaking five foot nothing idiot, <laughs> used to be rugby player who thought, screw this guy. And he, he was obviously taller than me, but he was this scrawny, drunk, right, guy. And so I run after him and I rugby tackle him to the ground and I grab my phone back and I start like running away. And then he comes after me. He tackles me to the ground and grabs the phone again. I should have left it at that. I should have just walked away. But I'm like, fuck this guy. So he, when he grabs the phone a second time, he runs into the jungle, the jungle, pitch fucking black jungle. And so here I am running after him again. I tackle him in the jungle. And this is where things get really serious. Like he, he has me pinned down and he starts punching my face and I kick him off. And as I'm getting up, he um, kicks me right in the solar plexus. So I'm winded. Now I can't catch my breath. And I just I just drop it and I leave. And I'm like, my hair's all jungly, my face is mangled, and I'm literally running back to the to the tent, to the like luxury whatever tent area. And I'm running back and I'm all kind of beat up. And I go to the immediately I go to my tent and I tell my friend, I'm like, oh my God, this just happened in the woods or whatever in the jungle. Like this guy has my phone, like what a fucking asshole. And she's like, we have to tell the security guys. So we go to the front of the like whatever encampment and we tell them like, hey, this guy just did this. And like, what does he look like? I'm like, I don't know. He's drunk and he's wearing flip-flops and he's in the jungle somewhere with my phone. And so they run, basically they run after him. And then my my friend is like, hey, like, because I'm I'm like hyperventilating at this point. And so she's like, let me do some cranial sacral work on you. So I so they're running after him. I lay down on the bed and she starts doing this work on my crown chakra. And immediately, ooh, gives me chills. Immediately I start flipping back through like like at least 40 different lifetimes. And there were all these lifetimes where men in particular um, either took advantage of me or abused me or 
you know, put me down. And I put up with it. I just put up with it. I never did anything to stand in my power. And in one of those lifetimes, this guy who attacked me was my husband in one of these past lives. And I was his wife. And he was really, he was an alcoholic and he was really abusive. And he was, he would always beat me up and I would just take it. I would never do anything about it. And so this lifetime, right? Because you have to think, out of all the people he could have stalked and stolen a phone and done all of that, it was me. There were so many other people there, but it was me. He like pinpointed me, chose me, and and it was like this co-creative, collaborative moment between the two of us. And finally, for the first time in all of these lifetimes, I stood up for myself. I fought back, you know? And so... In about, what, 10 minutes, flipping through all of these lifetimes, clearing them all by having this experience, I immediately felt better. The trauma was gone, the reaction was gone, and I felt aligned. And then, right when we were kind of finishing up this work, the security guys came back and they said, we think we found him, we need you to verify that it's him. And so I'm walking with my friend, she's holding my hand, and we go to like the back, whatever, security area of um, of the festival, and there are all these security guards around him, and he's sitting down, and he's just kind of looking around, and it was hard to kind of pinpoint him because I didn't really get a good look, right? I just remember looking at his feet because my flashlight was like on my feet, and I could see his feet next to mine. And so I I was at a distance and I looked at him like, oh, I don't know. I don't know if that's him. And then the second he saw me and looked at me, he got up from the sitting position and he started to come at me with like 10 security guards around him. And they were like fighting him and like pushing him down. But it was like there was this dark energy in him specifically towards me. And I was like, yes, like that's the guy. And I recognized what he was wearing on his feet and then his jean shorts as well. And I'm like, that's it. That's him. So that was it. That's all they needed from me. And then I went to bed, we did some more healing work, and of course I didn't have my phone. So the next day, a couple things happened. The next day I went to the front and I'm waiting for Nat. I went to the front, I'm waiting for Nat. Two o'clock rolls around, three o'clock, four o'clock, five o'clock, she's not there. Finally, like, what was it? It was late. It was like frig, like not 8.39 by the time she actually came in. And uh, she ended up getting her, like, I saw her, we hugged, and even the lady at the front of the festival was like, wow, like, this woman really loves you because she's been waiting here all day for you and she's been really anxious. And when the second that Nat saw me, especially since I didn't text her, she knew something was wrong, right? And so she told me, she's like, what happened? What's wrong? What happened? Like, tell me. And I was so worried to tell her because she gets all protective, right? Of course. And so finally she got her wristband and she got, you know, and we got settled into the tent and I had my friend there and she was there. And, and so we, we all talked about it and I told her what happened the night before. And she's like, oh my God, I knew something bad happened to you. And then she told me about the whole debacle of like 
the being on the shuttle bus, of course, a four or five hour trek turned into like a nine, 10 hour trek on the shuttle bus. It was late. Then they ended up hitting a, like a stray dog on the street. And then one of the front tires blew and they had to fix that. They got stopped by the Panama army and the army was like, what is it? Like not blackmailing, but like asking for money in order to, to just cross through the street. And so Nat gave a hundred dollars, right? A hundred dollar bill just to like get through. So it was like a whole adventure that she was on too. And her and I have played through this past lifetime of doing whatever it takes to find each other. And that's what it felt like. It was a whole day of like, holy shit, we just need to be together. And once we were, it was fine. She went through the trauma. I went through the trauma. And then that day, what I heard is the security guards found me at the tent and they said, hey, we want to let you know that the, the guy has been taken care of. When they looked in his backpack, they found like 10 other phones that he had stolen and they were assuming that they, he was going to sell them off. And then they put them all into um, Lost and Found. And when I looked at all the phones, none of them were mine, um, which was really weird. And then they told me, they're like, we weren't sure if we were taking him back dead or alive. And I'm like, what? What do you mean? Like, was he okay? Like, what happened? And essentially what this security guard told me is once all of the other Panama locals found out what he did, they beat the shit out of him to the point where he was he was just hanging on. Luckily, he survived because I would not want that, you know, karmically. But what was really beautiful about that is that in all of these past lifetimes, I've always been abused and hurt by other men. And in this lifetime, going through that experience again, it was other men who stood up for that type of abuse for me. Not that that was right by any means, them beating him up, but there was a completion here of basically they really respected just a freaking lowly female on the beach and the fact that I was vulnerable and that he took advantage of that. And what they told me is that... He was essentially a, I think, like a security guard for the the uh, festival. And they said that it is like a prized position to be accepted as a security guard for the festival or just as a worker for the festival because they get paid so much at this festival that it's like a whole year's worth of wages, right? So all of these locals really, really value this position and respect the rules. So what happened was this security guard was drinking on the job. They're not allowed to drink alcohol at the festival. So he's drinking on the job. And while he's drinking on the job, you know, he got caught being drunk. And so they fired him right, right then and there. And he was so pissed that they fired him, he continued to drink. And so their mistake, the festival's mistake is after firing him, they didn't escort him off the property. So now here's this guy who's got nothing else to really care for or live, like not live for, but like doesn't really care about anything. And so he continues to drink. He's now not on the job at all. And he continues to get drunk. And then because he's now lost his wages for the year, he's looking for, he's looking to make up that money somehow. So he's looking to steal phones from essentially these like privileged Western people, right? In his mind. 
And so that's what happened. Like, now, why put up such a fight? Why target me in particular when you could just be at a dance floor and, like, find shit on the ground, right? Like, obviously, that was all specific and aligned to to my situation. Now, the really interesting part is when I woke up the next day, I looked in the mirror and I was 100% expecting, like, a crooked nose, black and blue eyes. Like, I was really expecting to be to be really like beat up and and for it to look like that. And so when I wasn't and I woke up and I asked my guides, I'm like, why is my face okay? Like this makes no sense. What they told me is that if I had like a swollen black and blue face, that I would play the role of a victim. And if I did that, I would actually be creating more karma than what was necessary in that position. They said, this experience needed to happen in order to clear the lifetimes. And if you perpetuated the experience as a victim, you wouldn't have actually cleared and you had the potential of creating more. And I'm like, oh my God, makes so much sense. And and that was pretty much it. You know, that's that's basically what happened. And then when my friend left the next day, and it was just Nat and I, we had a really beautiful connection experience. We had a really beautiful time. But all of the tribes and the indigenous energy left and all of the festival goers who just wanted to take a bunch of drugs and like dance all night long came in and the the whole energy of the place really changed. So we were there, not to mention um, the sanitation of the food was not great. So <laughs> we were kind of on the toilet for quite some time. And so about two or three days after everything, we're like, hey, you know what? We can't eat anything here. The energy is getting a little weird and uh, it's probably a good time to, to head out. So we ended up leaving early. And I think there was at this point, there were shuttles leaving, you know, every day or whatever. We ended up giving our tent away to someone who really needed it. And and that was it. And we actually spent such a beautiful time in a hotel room. Oh, and one last thing. So oddly enough, we go to this Panama hotel room because our flight is in another three days. So we, you know, Panama is so cheap. So we're in this luxury hotel room and it was so beautiful and so cheap. And we learned all about Panama City and how like fake it is. And it's just a bunch of like drug money and like people don't really even live in the buildings. Like it's so weird. So the whole thing, I'm not even going to get into it. It's like a whole other conspiracy. But essentially, I hop onto my laptop and I'm looking to shut down my phone like remotely because I, I wasn't able to, to find it. So I was looking to shut down my, my phone remotely. And all of a sudden, all of these. So the person who got my phone, I don't know how it like I still don't know how it got out of the complex. Right. Because at that point, it was so it was in someone else's hand. And they had this huge, like, Panama, like, yearly festival that was happening in Panama City. Uh, I don't know what kind of festival it was, but pretty big festival. And so all of these, so they shut down my ability to lock the phone, right? Lock the phone. So here I am changing all my passwords for everything, locking stuff down. And all of these photos start popping up of these, like, Panama locals, like, twerking like twerking videos on my phone at this festival that are popping up on my iCloud freaking photo account I'm like what the hell the name is now changed my Spotify playlist is all of this like Spanish music I look up the location of where the phone is and I find out that it's one block 
from the hotel. And I told Nat, I said, let's go there. We know what these people look like, right? I don't know if the phone got sold or like what happened, but like, let's go. Like, let's go. Um, let's go freaking find the phone. And that's like, no, 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 babe. It's too much drama. Don't even worry about it. Just relax. And we did. We just relaxed. But I can't believe the phone was like a block away and they're freaking doing twerking videos on my phone. Like, God damn it. Right. And to this day, when I airdrop stuff to myself, the name is still Eleni Valencia. <laughs> Whoever got the phone. And I, I don't know. I'm always freaking reminded. And I actually ended up changing the name just the other week. And it's changed on my iMac, but it's not changed on my freaking laptop still. It's ugh. It's just a reminder. But what a beautiful lesson, you know, that was and what a beautiful experience I had. And I'm so grateful that I was able to clear that amount of karma in that experience. And, and when we're able to step away from trauma, even in the moment, um, there is so much to learn from it. So I wanted to share that with all of you and let you know that everything happens for a reason. And we need to start looking at the traumas in our life as experiences of lessons and clearing and how we can truly move on from them. I hope this gave you a little bit of perspective today and, and maybe a little bit of entertainment as well. And uh, yeah, so grateful for all of it. And I'm even grateful for the fact that I was able to recognize and switch that around so that I could sit in the energy of gratitude rather than victim or trauma. As always, please leave a five-star review if you enjoyed this podcast. Share this with other people who may need to hear this story or just other episodes and experiences. Keep up the good work, Starseeds. I am sending you so, so much love. And as always, I will see you in the fifth dimension frequency. 